Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This program is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it is sponsored by Camp Constitution, which among other things runs a wonderful family summer camp. And our camp is coming right up July 12th to the 19th. And if you want to learn more about that, you can visit the site at www.campconstitution.net. Well, we have a, a very special guest on. Uh, he, uh, are, you, uh, are you there, Alex? I'm here, Hal. Thanks very much for All having me. All right, great. Yes, well, Alex, I almost said Newman. <laughs> I mean, Alex, um, the guy, character on Mad Magazine. Uh, <laughs> Alfred E. Newman, right, yeah. Alex Newman, not Alfred E. Newman. <laughs> right. Alex is a uh, contributing editor, to the, uh, writer for the New American Magazine, among many other things. He resides in Florida, but he's also the co-author of a very important book recently published by Rolton at Daily called Crimes of the Educators. And Alex, well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Howard. It's a pleasure to be uh, here. Yes, well, just a little update here. Um, I got a ch- I had the privilege of meeting Alex this past Thursday. Uh, this show, by the way, will be airing uh, June um, to, uh, Monday. This is uh, recorded a day earlier. But Alex came up to Boston uh, to meet Sam Blumenfeld, his co-author. Sam, who was in extremely bad health and not expected to uh, live much longer, uh, regrettably. But it was the first time you met Sam. You've been on because you've known him from phone calls and reading his writings and collaborating with him that way. So I was very uh, privileged to be able to uh, help you meet him. But uh, let me talk to me about the book itself. Uh, That's a strong title, The Crimes of the Educators. And I think it's important to point out that we're not necessarily talking about the school teacher at the high school, the junior high school, but we're talking about people behind that. So just give us a little background on that. Sure, and uh, you, you know, to to address your point there, absolutely. Uh, Sam and I have both said repeatedly that uh, the teachers here are, generally speaking, you know, not not always, but generally speaking, are just as much victims uh, as the students who are being dumbed down in the schools. And we use the term crimes very deliberately. We knew it was strong language, but we it's not hyperbole in any way. Uh, we argue, and I think. Um, show conclusively that uh, massive crimes are being perpetrated here uh, against this nation, against our republic, and against individual children. And so we uh, we outlined a list of six specific, identifiable, prosecutable crimes that uh, are being perpetrated and have been perpetrated against our children and against our nation by uh, this cabal of educators, uh, so-called educators, I should actually say, maybe miseducators is a better term. But uh, basically, uh, the first and most serious one, of course, is, is treason. Uh, in, in 1983, Ronald Reagan put together a commission, the National Commission on Excellence in Education, 
And their, their conclusion was pretty startling, you know, especially for a government commission. They said if a foreign power had imposed this system on us, we might well have viewed it as an act of war. And uh, Sam and I argue that we should view it as an act of war. It is an act of war. Just because it wasn't perpetrated by foreigners uh, doesn't mean that it's any less an act of war. And dumbing down the population of a country for the purpose of subverting its liberty and overthrowing its system of government uh, is the very essence of treason on a massive scale in a way that, you know, it, it, as far as we know in history, has never really been attempted before. Of course, dictators have seized control and then used education to solidify their grip right. on power. But here it was a tool to seize power, to overthrow uh, the Republican constitutional liberty system that, uh, that the founders bequeathed to us. And so that's, of course, the most serious crime. Then we have child abuse, uh, which, let's, again, let's is a very out, serious let, crime. Let me, uh, Alex, let me interrupt you a second. These educators that gave us this uh, horrible public education or government education system did it deliberately. This wasn't a question of, gee, we got it wrong, we have to tweak uh, tweak a little bit. We made a mistake. Uh, we had a theory that we thought would improve education, but it didn't. And oh boy, we're sorry. But these people knew exactly what they uh, what they were going to. They knew exactly what they were doing, and the result is exactly what they want. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, we have the primary source documents showing that. We trace this back to John Dewey, who uh, wanted to change America, fundamentally transform America, to use uh, the language of the day uh, today. And uh, his, his plan was to turn America into a uh, socialist, collectivist, communist-type utopia. And he even told us what he wanted to be the model for that, looking backward, uh, a novel published by Edward Bellamy in 1888. And uh, this was a fantasy of a communist America in the year 2000, and he thought that was great. He went to the Soviet Union to study their education system and see how they were uh, so efficiently mass-producing atheists and collectivists. And, uh, and he set out with a, a plan. We actually republished uh, the outline of his, of his plan to dumb down America in 1898. It was the primary education fetish. And he said, oh, you know, kids don't need to read. That's not that important. You know, let's focus first on socializing them and having them do social activities and uh, become social organisms. And then later, you know, maybe we can worry about reading and then they can look at books and stuff like that. Um, and the results, uh, you know, that we have today, the federal government did a literacy survey uh, about 20 years ago, and they said 55% of Americans can barely read. So, you know, this was deliberately engineered this way. Uh, John Dewey, and of course he was funded by the Rockefellers, and he had a lot of colleagues in his uh, educator cabal to, that set out to take over government education in this country and dumb down the population. But uh, they've been wildly successful to the point where now, you know, we're graduating millions of children who can't even read their high school diplomas. It's a, it's a national disgrace, and it's a crisis, and the implications go far beyond just dumbing down children. I mean, we're never going to be able to sustain this experiment in liberty with a, a population that has been deliberately dumbed down to the point where many of them have trouble reading. Now, John Dewey was the signer, one of the signers of the Humanist Manifesto One, that was in the early 30s, where, uh, and didn't he say that the teachers have to use the classrooms much like ministers and pastors use the pulpit to promote humanisms? That's, so that's exactly right. And, and if, you, if you notice, this kind of philosophy absolutely pervades the education establishment from top to bottom. And so what I say is, uh, you know, they, they say uh, we need separation of school or of church and state and so on, and that the schools need to be secular and not teach religion. Well, they are teaching a religion. It's just not the Christian religion that, uh, you know, this country was largely founded upon. It is the religion of humanism. And to give you, uh, the listeners an idea of uh, what Dewey had in mind, the, the first humanist manifesto 
that you mentioned, Human is Manifesto 1. The very first plank of this says that uh, we regard the universe as uh, self-existing and not created. And, of course, the first words of the Bible, uh, in the beginning, God created. So, you know, obviously these two are inherently opposed so, and So you mean, you mean in the beginning it wasn't talking about baseball, it was actually talking about creation? Right, exactly, yep. Um, and, yeah, the rest of this Humanist Manifesto is, is also um, saturated in collectivist ideology, and they say we need to get rid of private property. And, uh, you know, so these are very, very radical documents. And at the time when John Dewey was coming up with this quackery and this lunacy, uh, you know, this would have been absolutely abhorrent to people. And so in this essay that we reprinted of his, The Primary Education Fetish, he says change by the way, come that, gradually. That was re- by the way, that's imprinted in your book, but Camp Constitution uh, reprinted that about a year ago, and Sam Blumenfeld wrote the foreword to it. It was Sam that requested uh, that we do that, and it's available on the Camp Constitution uh, bookstore on the website. So just for just a few dollars. So just thought I'd let you know that. Although we want people to buy the book, and incidentally, it's selling very well. It's available on Amazon. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there are other outlets too. And uh, you go to Amazon. I think it sells for about twenty-five, twenty-six dollars. Uh, that's the cover price. Yeah, Amazon has yes. it for a little bit cheaper. I think they're selling it for. I think it fluctuates twenty-two, twenty-one dollars more or less. Uh, and then all the big retailers are carrying it at least online. I know uh, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, Target. Uh, you can order it through any of those if you uh, prefer those. But uh, and then if you want autographed copies, you can get them through the WND Superstore, which is superstore.wnd.com. Or they can come to one of your speeches, right, or lectures, right, and you'll be able to autograph their co- copy of their book too. We are, we're very right. pleased to have you. We are, you were only up for uh, it was a one day. I mean, one night. You got here Thursday. You went home Friday. And I'm by the way, I'm with my friend Tricon Tom uh, uh, Moore here that drove you to the airport. So we were looking for a uh, another phone so he could add get into the conversation here. But he. After all, we So you got a little whirlwind tour. You got a chance to see Lexington Green and uh, Concord. He's uh, a guy that travels around the world, but he's never been took much time in the Northeast. So we definitely want to get you back up here and uh, at some point and uh, give you a little more time to enjoy. That. Well, that's possible, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. That'd be great. So anyway, uh, so getting back to Mr. Dewey and his, uh, his Humanist Manifesto, and that, uh, pu- that publication, uh, the and that was published in what 1898, right? Exactly. Yep, in uh, in kind of an obscure journal at the time, the Forum, uh, and he and he wrote in there that change must come gradually. Uh, because to force it unduly would favor it would cause a violent reaction and would jeopardize the the final success of their plan. And so he understood full well that uh, you know parents and teachers and taxpayers would never in a million years go for this kind of lunacy. They had to do it quietly under the radar, taking over the teachers' colleges, uh, sneaking their dumbed down books, especially the reading materials, into the school districts. And uh, you know, so it was done gradually. It was done very quietly. But, um, you know, it, the evidence is all there. We have the primary source documents showing what his plan was, what his views were, what his agenda was. And, um, you know, it, it's been a disaster for our country, and we need to fix it if we're going to save it. So the first crime you would say is treason, and then you list, what, six crimes in the book? Yeah, we have six crimes, yep. Uh, the other one's uh, child abuse, uh, <coughs> contributing to the delinquency of a minor, um, Fraud and extortion. I mean, you know, if, if a businessman well, let's to get tell on, you on the child on the child abuse, 
that's that's a serious charge, and I agree. Uh, in fact, um, I spoke recently. <laughs> I spoke recently to a lady who lives on Cape Cod, and she uh, her son was in high school, and the son went down to the guidance counselor, and the guidance counselor says, "You are probably a uh, gay." And he referred him to a, a, a homosexual group outside of the school, which he attended. He actually started living that lifestyle. He was being fed anti-Christian, anti-pro-homosexual um, you know, material. He uh, was totally, totally alienated from his uh, family. He had tried to commit suicide. Thankfully, and it was all because of the state, the state, uh, the state, as well as the. The, the militant homosexual agenda working hand in hand, and now there's a couple other bill pending to be able to stop this kind of thing. Uh, not just not just a militant homosexual group, but any outside group. Or, you know what's so that's to me an example of child abuse. That they oh yeah, and, and I mean d- dumbing down a child is you know if a parent were to deliberately harm their child's mind, and that's exactly what's going on in the schools here. Uh, you know they they would be prosecuted for that. If you lost your kid in a room and, and deprived him of knowledge, uh, you would be prosecuted for that. Sam used the term menticide. He may have actually coined that term. The this, the murder or the killing of a brain of a person's brain. Not not in the in the sense where the person becomes a vegetable. But when you destroy that person's ability, the child's brain, the, the ability to think, the ability to learn, to read, and again, the, the person can function, but not function at the way the person was supposed to function. That's right. And so we spent a long time focusing, a, a lot of time in the book, many chapters are devoted to this, showing, uh, exposing this reading methodology that was promoted by John Dewey called the whole word method, which today is uh, you know, used in government schools across the country as the backbone of the, the early uh, reading sections in Common Core, the kindergarten Common Core aligned textbooks, for example, tell the kids to memorize words. And uh, just to give listeners a, a brief overview of this for those who aren't familiar with the debate on phonics versus whole word. Uh, phonics is the way our language has been taught since time immemorial, the, the reading and the writing of our language, because we have a phonetic alphabet. And so obviously you need to teach it phonetically. We are, each letter is associated with different sounds, and the different letters work together to make different sounds, like a CH will be pronounced a ch, like cheese or whatever. And, uh, and so that's the way you learn how to ring our, uh, read and write our, our language, because that's the way it's structured. And this was a huge advancement over uh, you know, the, the pictographic and the symbolic uh, written languages of, of past ages. So essentially what the Chinese language is uh, you have to learn each symbol and each symbol stands for something and there's you know, a couple of thousand symbols so it's really hard to master a language like that unless you live in the culture and you're kind of around it all the time. Uh, so the look-say method or whole, it's called whole word or whole language uh, was, and I think in the book you talk about uh, uh, Reverend Gallaudet who was the one that developed a system to teach deaf people with all the best of intentions and thought, gee, maybe this would help people that aren't deaf. I mean, obviously right. deaf people can't hear sounds. And this was back in the 1840s and 50s, and it was introduced into Boston. And after a couple of years, it was totally rejected because it didn't work. It was a disaster. And that's what happens when you try something. Okay, this may work. It doesn't work. You go on to something else. And uh, and then what was about a hundred years before it was reintroduced? 
Well, and, yeah, uh, it, this was exposed as quackery in the 1840s, at least when it comes to teaching uh, you know, non-deaf children. That was and, about uh, the and, same time phrenology came on, too, that the notion that you could uh, look at the bumps on somebody's head and say, oh, this person has certain personalities, and that was sort of a uh, quackery, too. And it's too bad that, well, no one seriously considers phrenology. They still consider whole language uh, legitimate. Right, and it's, it's, it's more evidence of Dewey's wicked intent here. I mean, this was known, this was proven to be faulty, to be ridiculous in the 1840s. And uh, John Dewey and his cabal of criminals uh, resurrected this, knowing full well what the effects would be. They had uh, some of their colleagues produce a supposed uh, scientific paper showing that this was a good thing to do, Edward Huey Long, for example. But... Um, so they resurrected this, uh, you know, 60 years after it had been shown to be uh, not a, a good way to teach children to read. And uh, they eventually managed to get it into all the public schools. They took over the teachers' colleges. They produced uh, things like the Dick and Jane uh, readers and the Macmillan reading program. And, uh, again, this is being used today all across this country. And this is why we have the reading disaster that we have. And it, now modern science actually proves and shows uh, what is going on in the brains of people subjected to this quackery. I mean, they've done brain scans of children who learn to read using the, the phonics method, and then brain scans of children who've learned to read using the whole word method. And what the brain scans show is that children who read using phonics, uh, their brains are well-developed. The left brain does what the left brain should do. The right brain does what the right brain should do. The connections between the two are seamless and properly functioning. Uh, in children who learn the whole word method, uh, that's not the case. The, the connections... Um, are dubious at best between the two hemispheres of the brain because you're trying to force uh, the right brain to do a left brain function by memorizing words as if they were symbols rather than understanding the phonetic components of the word and, uh, and thereby decoding the meaning of it. And so, you know, we argue that this is child abuse. If a parent were to deliberately damage the mind of their child, uh, you know, they would be prosecuted for that, and rightfully so. But yet the government schools are doing this on a mass scale, on an industrial scale, and they're getting away with it because nobody understands what's going on. And so that's really one of the key themes and one of the key messages and takeaways for the book is we need to get back to teaching reading the correct way. Now, Sam, um, Sam Blumenfeld, the co-author of your book, long advocated the idea that the look-say method created bad students and lack of attentiveness in the classrooms, and the solution, according to the educators, was to drug them with psychotropics because it wasn't the method of teaching. It was something wrong with the kid. It was what they were getting at home. So they introduced all these psychotropic drugs. So I think you mentioned that. There's a chapter in the book dealing with that, too, I believe. There is, yeah, and, and you know, there's several components and angles of this. Uh, first, we, we talk about uh, dyslexia a little bit. Now, dyslexia, people uh, don't really have an understanding of it. They think it might be some kind of biological or, uh, you know, hereditary disease, and it's no such thing. It, it's a product. It's the fruits of teaching a child to read using the whole word method. It causes reading disabilities because it's a ridiculous way of learning how to read our language. And, and so then they diagnose these children as dyslexics, and then the parents can say, oh, nothing we can do. You know, it's just some kind of problem in our child's brain. And it is a problem in their child's brain, but it was induced by the schools, mm -hmm. and it can be fixed just through proper reading instruction. And then to the other point, uh, you're absolutely right about the development of these psychotropic drugs, and that, comes, that brings us to another one of the crimes that we identify in the book, uh, contributing to the delinquency of minors. Uh, what they're doing here is, first of all, they're dumbing down the kids. They're preventing them from learning to read, and so the kids quite naturally act out, and, you know, hey, I'm, they might not understand that they're deliberately being dumbed down, but they understand that something's wrong. And so they act out, and they don't pay attention, and they don't want to be there. 
and uh, the education establishment and the psychiatric establishment, all with help from the government, of course, um, deals with this by putting them on hard drugs. Now, if a parent were to give their child hardcore amphetamines just willy-nilly, uh, you know, that would be a crime. But when the school does it, when the psychiatrists do it, suddenly that's okay. And, uh, you know, these and are the really, really serious drugs. Isn't it? It's a multi-billion-dollar business. Oh, goodness. I mean, the money yeah. being made here by everybody is uh, is huge, except, of course, the taxpayers who are extorted to pay for all of this. And they're paying for it. That's right. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the consequences of taking these kinds of drugs, I think parents aren't really, uh, I mean, if they would just read the labels that come with these drugs, they would understand uh, more fully what's going on here. These have potential for addiction, for long-term and maybe permanent damage and consequences. Alex, so, you know, these are not toys. Alex, so the, the joke around here is they send them to Dr. Slows them down. Oh, Dr. Slows them down, that's good. Yeah, no, I mean, these are these are hardcore drugs, and I, and I think a lot of parents aren't aware of that. And, uh, you know, even the diagnosis of ADD and ADHD, I'm not a psychiatrist, but, uh, you know, th these things are voted on. These are not objective, diagnosable things. It's not like if you break your arm, you take an x-ray, and you see you have a broken arm, or you have a disease, and you do a, a blood test, and then you figure out what the disease is. Right. This is totally subjective, uh, and I, I sometimes say it's quackery. I mean, these, these psychiatrists get together, and they vote on what they think should be considered a disease and a list of symptoms for the disease and a list of drugs to treat the alleged disease. And, uh, you know, this is totally unscientific in the sense that we traditionally understand medicine and science. And, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's ironic is that you go to what, one of these government schools and there'll be a big sign, drug-free zone, right? Not really. And actually, uh, yeah, they just don't want, they don't want competition. They don't want the, the hardcore the drug dealer dealing with uh, the illegal drugs but there, there is a, it is not a drug-free zone. In fact, after the, the drug dealer says to the kids, hey, look, he said, we, I got something just a little bit better than what we've been giving you. Yep. It's yep. a, a single dad, and uh, his son is actually very smart, and uh, he's doing quite well in high school. But when he was in elementary school, they uh, evaluated him for Ritalin, and my friend said, no, I'll, if you, there's a problem, I'll work with my son and when my friend said no, here in the state of Massachusetts, they sent a social worker by his house to evaluate whether to take it away from him because he refused to put him on the drugs. That's how bad it's gone. Oh, there's a case like this in Detroit now where they, they tried to do this to a, a woman up there, and she refused. And so they sent a SWAT team with a tank to her house, and uh, now they're on their wow. fifth attempt to take away her child because she refuses to drug the child with these psychotropic drugs that the government and the schools want to give her. And so, you know, we, we've reached the, beyond the point of absurd in this country when it comes to uh, the drugging of children and these mandates by the government. Well, I guess my friend should be happy. He just got a social worker as opposed to a tank in his front yard. He yeah, he got off light, no doubt. Yeah, so um, anyway, the... Uh, <clears throat> And that's that's happening in these government schools all over the country in poor neighborhoods, in middle class neighborhoods, in wealthy neighborhoods. And this is, of course, why Sam Blumenfeld always advocated get your children out of those government schools. He's been doing that all his, his the last thirty years or so, maybe longer. And and that's why he's one of the pioneers of the homeschool movement. And uh, why so many parents and you know what's interesting is that uh, as I give presentations on this thing called Common Core, which your book addressed, we'll discuss in a few seconds. A lot of the parents are uh, waking up all over the country, but some of them 
are offended because we're questioning their judgment. You know, or we're saying, you know, you haven't figured this out by now. Uh, but talk a little bit about Common Core. We only have about five minutes left, and I know you can talk about three hours about Common Core, but you do have a chapter about Common Core in your book, of course. Yeah, actually, yeah, we have several dealing with Common Core and related developments. Um, and that, basically, this is just uh, maybe not the final stage of the dumbing down agenda because there's still one more step that they hope to accomplish, which is just out and out global standards. But uh, you know, the, the two most important things about these standards is, first of all, they're atrocious. Uh, even the, the only two subject matter experts on their rubber stamp Common Core validation committee refused to sign off on the standards. Dr. S Dr. Sandra Stopsky said that these English standards are terrible. You're taking out all the good literature. Uh, it's going to reduce the critical thinking abilities of children. You're replacing literature with Obama executive orders and EPA regulations, and I'm not signing off on this. It's terrible. Uh, then you had, on the math component, Dr. James Milgram of Stanford, and he said, uh, nope, these standards are terrible. They're as non-challenging as possible. They're confusing. The methodologies, some of them are proven not to work. Some of them are experimental. And get this, some of them are based on incorrect mathematics. And so, of course, Bill Gates and the Obama administration thought it would be great to roll that out across the entire country. Now, the second key point here, aside from, you know, this is blatant dumbing down of children, um, is the problem that we're losing local control. And actually, to some extent, we've already lost it uh, many years ago. But uh, they're putting the final nail in the coffin here of local control over government schools. You know, the, the local community is supposed to be in charge of the schools. The taxpayers who fund it are supposed to elect the school board, and the school board is supposed to decide things about the school. Well, under Common Core, uh, you will have no ability to influence what is taught to your children, none whatsoever. You you can't even lobby your federal representatives for help in changing this because this is a project of special interest of lobbying organizations funded by the federal government like the National Governors Association and the Council the uh, Council of Chief State School Officers and these standards are copyrighted and you cannot deviate from them if you want to continue getting your federal funding and so you know and, we're losing and the test are actually the teachers uh, just uh, the teachers are actually more like facilitators or the term standbys and so they have nothing to do with the curriculum. It's not like that teacher has his or her own teaching guide that they use for the, for the year. They can make adjustments. Maybe they can improve. They can take things out, add things. It's basically, it's just like a prefabricated uh, a curriculum. That's, a, that's terrible. And the test, they don't even get the test back. They don't the test go to some central uh, location, and they don't even see the test. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the tests, too, are a, a crucial mechanism here for the enforcement of this monstrosity. They're using them to enforce it both against the teachers and against the students. And in addition to that, they're being used uh, to uh, gather unimaginable amounts of data on the children. All of this is going to the Federal Department of Education in Washington, D.C., for use by bureaucrats and big business and the central planners who want to plan out the lives of all of our children. And uh, so, you know, in, in sum, we need to oppose this and we need to resist it. But there is, you know, one benefit that I see from all this, and this is that it's getting parents all across the country, all across the political spectrum, totally outraged. And so we have an opportunity here to blow the lid off of this whole scandalous system designed to dumb children down uh, if we seize the opportunity and use it correctly. So I think this book, Crimes of the Educators, may be the thing that breaks the back because people, like I say, and it's, it's not a left-right, there's a lot of issues that are left-right, uh, but this one, you get people on both sides of the spectrum really upset about it, and as, if they can look at the bigger picture, 
as you and Sam and people like Charlotte Isabeth and many others say, this is not this common core. It's just something, it's just another addition on top of some really bad things to begin with. Even if we got rid of common core tomorrow, the schools, the public government schools would be still pretty rotten. But I think it's a really opportunity. I was actually at a homeschool show not too long ago, and I had information uh, on Common Core, and I asked a young lady who came by with some little children, have you heard of Common Core? She said, that's why we homeschool. And uh, so that was a really encouraging thing to do this. So uh, we think we have a minute left here, about a minute, a minute and a half. So, um, again, so, um, I mentioned that Hal and I were both part of the very first modern-day tea party, and our keynote speaker was Rand Paul. Uh, Dr. Rand Paul is coming back to speak exactly one week from today, and we're going to give him a copy of your book, sir. Awesome. That sounds great. Thank you very much. And I thought yesterday someone gave it to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Now, let's just hope he reads it and puts it to work. But maybe other people around the country – well, of course, New Hampshire is the first primary in the country, so all of the the would-be presidents are are running around the state. So we will do our best to get it in the hands of many – as many as possible – uh, so, again, uh, the book, Crimes of the Educators, and it's available on Amazon.com. And um, uh, they can find you. Uh, you write for the New American Magazine, newamerican.com. And what else? Where else could they find you? you have your own website or blog? Uh, no, my company has a website, but I also write for uh, some other publications. If people Google my name, they can uh, find stuff I've written. And, yeah, the newamerican.com is a good one. And uh, if they want to find the book, again, just uh, – Google it or go to Amazon or find it, uh, whatever method you prefer. So, Okay, excellent. So, uh, And uh, you'd pr- probably just do a Google search. You'll uh, go, go to YouTube and put in your name, um, and you'll probably find some of your presentations. So, Alex, I want to thank you so much for being on. It's been, it was an honor to meet you, and we certainly hope that our paths will cross uh, sometime soon. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much, Hal. It was an honor to meet you as well. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, keep up uh, the good fight. So thanks very much. We shall. We shall. God bless. You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio on WBCQ The Planet. Heard every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, coming out of the, the beautiful town of Monticello, Maine. You guys still there?
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.